the invisible sex, uncovering the roles of women in prehistory. A famous archaeologist once said that science is not truth. It is instead a method of diminishing ignorance. It is simply in the nature of scientific inquiry, not to mention other methods, that the frontier between understanding and ignorance is in constant motion and science is a human enterprise practiced by people whose feet can easily be clay and usually are. Scientists live in their particular era and usually share unconsciously in the many common underlying and often unspoken beliefs or biases of their time. When you realize that until recently the field called archaeology, along with geology, paleontology, and all the other specialties involved in our story, has been practiced almost exclusively by men, it will be no surprise that the story they have told has been largely free of females, of women. This book is an attempt to rectify that. Many people consider such a femaleless picture as merely another example of the cosmic put-down of the female in the long-running, overweening, and basically felonious patriarchy that has ruled the world since the agricultural revolution. This view, to which we return later on, is an extreme position and not a very likely one either. It is also a bit Eurocentric. Yet, there is a less extreme version that has to do with the invention of the deep past. Humans, of course, create the past for every creature from a virus to a wolf to a chimpanzee. There is no past that extends backward before one's own life. And for thousands of years after humans invented writing, about 5,000 years ago, and could describe events that we would define in his as history, there was no pre-history as such. There was mythology, of course, events that occurred at some unspecified time earlier, myth time, it is called dream time. Later in this book, we will look back at the transition from a mythological past to the origins and progress of archaeology and the other ways of scientifically uncovering and then creating the past. It is, as we said, our intent to rectify the situation in which females and women have been excluded from this creation. We will first examine some of the, mo the common narratives about prehistory and point out their flaws 
looking briefly as well into the development of the very idea of prehistory and how it came about. We will go on from there to produce a new version of the story of human evolution, one that is neither her story nor his story, a word game that is more politics than science or linguistic sense. If anything, the goal here is to our story, a past populated by a full range of actors who lived and loved, hunted, gathered, learned to speak, cooked, sewed, built, thrilled children with fabulous stories about mythical beings, played, laughed, got sick, got wounded, mourned the dead, invented religion. They were a diverse lot, young, old, female, male, brave, cowardly, dreamers, and doers. In the retelling of this long story, we explain much of what has emerged in the past few decades about the roles of females, of women, thanks to the work of numerous scholars in several fields, it has come to light that female humans have been the chief engine in the unprecedentedly high level of human sociability, were the inventors of the most useful of tools called the string revolution, have shared equally in the provision of food for human societies, almost certainly drove the human invention of language and were the ones who created agriculture. From the work of many types of scholars, the long invisible sex of human evolution and the gender roles of Homo sapiens are beginning to emerge. The full story will never be known, and the story as we have it today cannot be told in the manner of a complete motion picture. Instead, it is more like a slideshow with gaps to be filled in by future archaeologists, paleontologists, geneticists, linguists, and others. The stories we have been told, in which the authors present tales of male daring-do and explicate their failures in accounts of the deep past, along with a bit of the history of science and the reasons why women have not been found in those old tales. Since the beginning of archaeology, stories like the following three have been told, illustrated, taken as a true way in which our ancestors lived and worshipped and fed themselves. They are in much the same vein as most museum dioramas of ancient times and are matched by most magazine and book illustrations as well. Warning, these tales can be dangerous to your understanding of the human past. The place, a hill overlooking the Vesery Valley in southwestern France, not far from a cave called the Grotte de Rufignac. The time, 14,000 years ago. A group of men makes its way single file along a steep and narrow path that winds up a limestone hill. 
it is dusk, and the day that has been stormy and dark. Impatient gray clouds have commanded the sky, and from time to time they have spent they have sent spring rains down, turning the path to mud and making footing difficult. The weather is yet to feel the true onset of spring, that day when the sun begins to warm the earth and the winds turn kind. The men climb silently in the gathering dusk. Some of them are slender in their teens. Others are filled out in their prime, having lived thirty or even a few more years. Among them are three boys, alert and excited, but subdued with apprehension. They shiver, though not from the remnant cold of winter. They know they face an ordeal, but they have not found out its dimensions yet, which makes it all the scarier. Tonight they will become men. Later they will learn the arts, arts of hunting, of mating, of being responsible providers for their unborn sons and daughters. Some of the men carry branches that will be used as torches once they have been surrounded by the oncoming dark. Others carry spears with shafts of rare hardwoods topped with serrated bone points affixed with cord or sinew. One of the men in the front of the line struggling up the path has a leather pouch slung across his shoulder. It is full of red and black powders ground from local minerals like hematite or magnetite. Another, the oldest one with white in his hair, carries a knife of flint and a flat soft stone with a depression hollowed out of it. In the depression, animal fat has been solidified. In it lies a fiber wick. When lit, it will be the first light into the depths of the sacred cave whose entrance they are now nearing. Below them, the last of the day's light glints off the river. A shining serpent that lies along the length of the valley, still brown with the winter's dead grasses. The three boys take their last glimpse of the valley and apprehensively follow the men into the dark mouth of the cave. The flint knife gleaming in their minds' eyes. The older man has led the way, his tiny flaming glowing. Behind him, the man with the leather pouch walks gravely, followed by the men with torches, who alternate with those carrying spears. Huge shadows leap wildly on the rock, rocky walls, and a low chanting like a distant wind begins to fill the cave. Words the three boys can barely make out. Words they have not heard before. For all they know, it is the cave itself that sings. They see the forms of animals emerging from the walls and the ceiling as the shadows dance past. Deeper into the magic, and the ceiling begins to come closer until the men ahead stoop over, crouch, their torches' flames blackening the stones. The smoke from the torches burns the eyes 
of the three boys, but they say nothing. Soon the ceiling has lowered to the point where everyone must crawl, scraping their bellies. Along the mud, it's the of the floor.